I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, good holiday season. And of course, we're still going through the holiday season. And I hope that uh, the, uh, the best for you and your family during this period. I do want to talk today about a neoconservatism, and that's primarily what we're going to look at. You know, we hear about neocons or neoconservatism quite a bit. And I know the name is, or the term is thrown around frequently, and I just wanted to put some context to it and some ideas uh, that really people need to understand about neoconservatism. And when you understand about a neocon, that would be Republicans in name only, what people call rhinos, when you understand the principles about it, then you can understand why we are in such trouble in our country, even at the hands frequently of Republicans. So that's what we'll talk about primarily in a few moments. But right now, I do want to bring you up to date on something else, and that is uh, regarding Kerry Lake in Arizona, and I have a note on that. Uh, but even before that, there is something else I think that uh, I wanted to start off with maybe some more positive news and something that is, I think it is really, uh, really great that uh, this is taking place. And, uh, you know, entertainment has become such a, uh, such a place where just hedonism is taught and it becomes so corrupt. And, uh, you see that kind of thing on television. You, you hear it on the radio and it is very, very uh, disheartening to many people who are Christians and who want to who want really to please God and to have a clean, pure, wholesome, family-oriented television viewing, movies, and entertainment. And so frequently, even in the the silver screen in the theater, you don't have much of a choice there. And frequently, of course, on television, whether it be Netflix or Amazon movies or whatever it may be, the, the fair is very, very ugly. However, there are some, there's a bright spot here, and I want to make mention of it. Candace Cameron Bure, who has been on the Hallmark Network, <clears throat> has actually joined what is called the Great American Family Network, and it's a brand-new network, or fairly new, and we want to talk about it for just a moment. So she's become the chief creative officer at Great American Family Network, that's GAF family network. And she has commented that she wants to keep traditional marriage at the core of the movies that she will create at the network. And isn't that great because she wants to have traditional marriage. Now, the reason, of course, that this is being done and this is occurring is, of course, obviously, that Hallmark Network has become such such an affront, such an assault on traditional family moral values that people such as myself are completely disgusted with it because you've, you've turned away from all of this other entertainment, which is so sordid and so ugly, and it's just like coming out of the sewer, some of it, and you turn away from all of that, and you want to have just wholesome family, something that you can have your children and watch with you, and so Hallmark Network has been that in the past. However, that has changed because of leadership changes there. And now they're featuring homosexual couples, and homosexuals are almost a frequent occurrence on Hallmark Network. And that is, of course, something that is disgusting that that takes place. And so a lot of people feel that way. And so Candace Cameron Bure, one of the reasons she's left Hallmark Network and now is at Great American Family Network is because of what we've just mentioned. But as you know very well, 
Biray has been labeled by Hollywood as a bigot. And actresses have come forward to say that she's bigoted because uh, she has made the departure and gone to the Great American Family Network. So they've said that she's a bigot, that she hates people, and uh, you know the common uh, the common fare that you hear from those kind of people. As a matter of fact, just mentioning a couple other things regarding Hallmark. Hallmark has its first original film to focus on a same-sex couple. is coming up in December. It's called The Holiday Sitter. Now they've They've kind of put their uh, they put their toe in the water just a little bit. They actually Hallmark they tried to put a homosexual couple. They did put homosexual couples in it. Some of it was by innuendo and not necessarily you can. You, they wasn't a, right up front with it. But then they had some that were homosexual couples. It's kind of a sideline show, sideline. And then now they're having one that is a feature, the feature same sex couple the focus on this film. So in all of that, uh, when asked by Wall Street Journal if her new channel will feature any of these LGBTQ storylines, Bure said no, and she commented, and I think the great American family will keep traditional marriage at the core. However, the chief executive of Great American Media and original creator of Hallmark Channel noted that there isn't a set plan, so you know he's shown some weakness there, but... A couple of the actresses have come out and they condemned Cameron Bure for what she has to say. And Hillary Burton, and I guess her name is Jojo Siwa, they called her comments disgusting. And here's something that she wanted they wanted to say regarding her. And they did say this, <clears throat> so I wanted to re- review it for just a moment. Now, they're just openly admitting, they say, this is regarding Bure, their bigotry. I called this out years ago when Abbott was at Hallmark, this one woman wrote. Glad they dumped him. That was the creator of the Great American Family Network. Being LGBTQ isn't a trend. That guy and his network are disgusting. You two candy, that's how they refer to her. There's nothing untraditional about same-sex couples. Let's, Let's just stop here for a moment. In the first place, isn't it interesting that people who want traditional family values featured in Christian morals featured in films that they list, they're simply trying to find just just a, a just a little room somewhere that they might be able to enjoy entertainment as they used to enter- enjoy it years ago without being assaulted by all of this LGBTQ nonsense and they wanted simply to have a just a small portion of the film industry where they can enjoy some certain films but that's not good enough. They just absolutely attack it. That's one thing. And they're saying, well, it's not a trend. Well, you know, it is a trend. And it's a trend that's taken us downward to Sodom. And Sodom, of course, you know, as what took place with Sodom and Gomorrah, was not going to last. Now, here's something else. They made this comment. They said, that is, those criticizing Beret, there's nothing untraditional about same-sex couples. It's almost as if you want to stop and say, just exactly where have you been? Yes, it's not only untraditional, it's sinful, it's hedonism, and biblical values show us plainly in so many words that it's not only untraditional, but it's anti-God, it's ungodly. That's what it is. As a matter of fact, in America... Sadly, as we've talked about on this program before, 
in America during Barack Obama's period as president, he was the first first leader, I should say maybe first leader in America or in, in the world, really, to push forward same-sex marriage, the first one in the history of the world to push it forward and to have it endorsed by law. That is, same-sex couples, homosexuality has been practiced, of course, in all cultures throughout history, but it has always been recognized as sinful, unnatural, and not traditional. And so it's always been kind of in the back, back, uh, backwaters of the societies. This is the first society in which we have pushed it to the front and made it a legal entity, marriage, marriage between same-sex couples. So not only is homosexual marriage untraditional, it's ungodly, it's unconstitutional, it's absolutely, absolutely against the plan of God and it's against biblical values, which have been, of course, the foundational premises of our country. So the idea that they would say, well, same-sex marriage is traditional, is, is absolutely stunning. They say just almost anything, almost anything, they will say, and it has no relevance to truth, no lining up with the truth anywhere whatsoever. Well, at any rate, the next comment they make was this one. Burton called uh, Beret a bigot. I don't remember Jesus liking hypocrites like candy. Be sure, make your money, honey. You ride that prejudice all the way to the bank, blah, blah, blah. All right. You know what? <clears throat> This is interesting. They're so ignorant about what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is not one who lives a life, tries to do right, tries to be a Christian faithfully, and makes a mistake. We'll have to have a whole lesson on this sometime, but a hypocrite is one who actually puts forward what he knows is wrong and does it while covering up. That is hiding. It's just playing a part that you know that you're doing wrong and you're putting forward out that you're doing something else. You know what? Hypocrisy, that's what hypocrisy is. It's not someone who tries to do well and makes mistakes or sins and, and commits faults against God. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is playing a part. It is one who's, is, and the key word to it is deception, that they know that they're deceiving people by putting forward that they're being good, but really are being a Christian, but they're not. Well, I say that simply in defense of Candace Cameron Bure and the Great American Family Network. And so it's a good network, and they are promising, of course, to have good, solid, Christian, wholesome value entertainment. And that's really good news. That's what we like, isn't it, in this holiday season? All right, we'll be right back after this. Before we get into what is a neocon and neoconservatism and really trying to explain what is taking place politically, religiously in our country in the values that we know, the constitutional principles, and why we have left them and how that has happened, even under Republican oversight. Before we get into all that, I do want to give an update regarding Kerry Lake. Now, this update, this by the time this airs, this will be probably about a week old. I'm airing before Thanksgiving, or at least I'm recording before Thanksgiving. This will go to air after Thanksgiving. So things may change, but I this is... I think this is pretty interesting. And, of course, I am supportive of Carrie Lake 100%. What a great 
constitutionalist, a great, and I, I just wish there were a lot more leaders like her. So I went the entire show last week, almost or at least three quarters of it, talking about how the election was fraudulent in Maricopa County, Arizona. Well, she came out, this was yesterday, and she made a comment. Now, this is, of course, November, what is today? This, this would be November 17th. So she issued the first major update since Hobbs declared, was declared the victor in that race. So Arizona Republican, this is from the Epic Times candidate, Carrie Lake said that on November 17th, she's still fighting in the state governor's race in her first major update since Democrat Katie Hobbs declared the victory. And that's good because, as you, as we pointed out last week, and as you know now, if there is a 0.5% difference in the election results between Katie Hobbs and Carrie Lake, the governorship of Arizona, then there's an automatic recount of the election tabulation. Right now, the difference is 0.6%. And my prediction has been that the board of the county board there in Maricopa County, Arizona, is going to keep it so that Kerry Lake is out at least 0.6%. That is, they're not wanting to have a recount because I think they'll find out that Kerry Lake actually won the election. That's exactly what I believe. So here's how Kerry Lake said it. She came out yesterday with this news release. I wanted to reach out to you and let you know that I'm still in this fight with you. Lake said concerns raised by her campaign about Hobbs, the, the Arizona Secretary of State, overseeing the election and electronic voting equipment turned out to be legitimate. That's exactly, exactly what I said on the air. How is it that the Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, is actually over the election, overseeing the election of her own, that is, an election, a campaign in which she herself is one of the candidates. How can that possibly be? Is that not a conflict of interest? And if it is not, then I want someone to explain to me what is a conflict of interest. How can she be over the oversight of her own election? But that's exactly what Carrie Lake supporters were complaining about the entire time in Maricopa County, Phoenix area of Arizona. Lake said that she spoke with voters who had to wait in line for hours including the man who went, who went to three polling sites before he was able finally to cast a vote. We had on the air with us two weeks ago a, a man, Alex Bigham, Dr. Bigham from Phoenix, who said he talked to many people in line who had experienced exactly the same fraudulent ideas or same fraudulent practices where they had to go from one polling place to another polling place before they were able to even cast a vote. And then they were told to put their votes in box number three, and they would be carried down to downtown Phoenix, where they would be able to count them there by hand. And who's over box three with us? Katie Hobbs. The whole thing is just reeks of fraud. So that's exactly what Carrie Lake is pointing out. So she made this comment, our election officials failed us miserably. What happened to Arizonans on election day is unforgivable. Tens of thousands of Maricopa County voters were disenfranchised. That was a, That's exactly the article I wrote. I am, I'm glad I'm on the same page as she is. That's exactly the article I wrote. It's on the News Talk 1290 website. So <clears throat> at any rate, she's still busy. Uh, that is Kate, Carrie Lake uh, trying to uncover the evidence and data regarding what had happened and to present it with lawyers. And we'll see how this goes. There's more to this article, but you can look at it I think I've given you the the high points of it, and that's in the Epic Times.
All right, before we go to break, I do want to mention this, that the the website that I have, American Liberty with Bill Lockwood, we're changing things up. I'm letting that uh, go the way of all the earth. And instead, the radio show is rebranded as Patriotic Pulpit. And that will be, and you can find it on the website, or it's actually an app called Spotify. You can find it on Amazon Music. And at this time, you can still go to American Liberty with Bill Lockwood, and you can hit a donate button and can individually donate to the program. Of course, all of these things cost money, so I'm happy for you to do that. But Patriotic Pulpit is where you can find us on the app sites, and so it's a podcast on those particular sites. All right, so when we come back, we'll talk about what is exactly a neocon and how have the neocons actually betrayed America back in a moment. Welcome back. Now, I wanted, before we talk about neoconservatism, I wanted to mention this, that uh, dur- during the break, my friend over here across the desk from me, and uh, he, he goes by Stryker, and uh, he is on the buzz here, and uh, he helps me with the show. He comes in here, and he's the technician that is involved in this, and he was telling me that the technical term, or what radio people, I guess, say when a website is going away is sunsetting, so we're sunsetting the website, and that's exactly what we're doing. So, yeah, uh, so I needed to thank him for that, Stryker, for that's exactly the term. And, or he said, putting it out to pasture. Now, I, I can uh, understand that one. You put, it, you put an animal out to pasture. That means, you know what? My horse is done. He's already shown. He's already, you know, he, now he's old. He's, now he deserves to be put out to pasture, and there he'll spend the rest of his day. So, so that's what's happening to the website. We're putting it out to pasture, and it is sunsetting. So there you go. So nevertheless, that um, you can still go to it and donate at this time. And uh, the radio show is uh, Patriotic Pulpit. And that's where you'll find us. And by the way, I have articles that are on the News Talk 1290 website. So I write articles regarding a lot of this material as well as articles that deal with other materials that I don't have time to put on the radio since it's a once-a-week podcast. All right. What is a neocon? Neoconservatives. What is a neoconservative? And so let me just start this way. Just you th- you step back and think about this. What is really happening to the politics in America, to the country? And I'll, I'll start with this, this individual. And we've had programs on him before, Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger is the Republican. And back in the 1970s, 80s, he was all for, in the 1990s particularly, he was for NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement. And he insisted on that it be passed, and it was done, of course, finally with Bill Clinton. And immediately what happened? Well, immediately we lost one half of our manufacturing base in America, North American Free Trade Agreement. And so half of it went to Mexico right now. So even though there are jobs in America and the, the jobs reports may be good or bad, depending upon what, what administration we have, the job market that we have in America is a lot less manufacturing than it used to be, and it's more service industry oriented. That it would be, you know, working at uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken or something. So, <clears throat> so NAFTA was the creator of that, or one of the causes of that, and it was passed during Bill Clinton's, who was in favor of it. And you might think, well, how is it the case that Kissinger, as well as who was a Republican, and Bill Clinton, both of them are on the same page on that one, and so has George, so has George Bush. 
George H.W. Bush, everybody was on the page for it. Kissinger made this comment. NAFTA will represent the most creative step toward a new world order taken by any group since the end of the Cold War. Did you hear that? A new world order. Now, this was the way he was talking back in the 1990s. And truthfully, if you look back at the United Nations devotees, you can find that kind of language spoken back in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s. And it's just now, you you might hear it on Fox News every once in a while. Well, they're late to the game because the New World Order has been something that has been preached by the United Nations people for many, many decades. And he was part of it. New World Order, what does that mean? It means world government. That's what it means. New World Government. And they, they use the word governance because they think, oh, okay, the American people are not quite smart enough to understand that when I say governance, that means really government. So I'll say governance. We want a global governance. And that's what Klaus Schwab is all about. Global governance. What does that mean? It means a global government, a world government. That's exactly what it's about. And so when NAFTA passed, as we mentioned, job moves to Mexico. And as also at the same time, there was a dramatic increase of people's and drugs across the border because it became really almost at that point an open border in some respects. And it came that way until Donald Trump came to office. Now, then we had the Free Trade of the Americas, Free Trade Areas of Americas, FTAA. It it was reducing trade barriers across all countries in the Americas, but that stalled in 2005. But the globalists, who are globalists, those who want world government, circumventing the United States Constitution. Globalists wanted global government, so they came up with another plan, and that was the World Trade Organization. So under the aegis of the United Nations, it commenced in January of 1995. Listen to this statement. This is the World Trade Organization, one of the sponsors at that time in 1995, who was the Speaker of the House. Now, who was the Republican? Now, this is Republican Speaker of the House, and his name is Newt Gingrich. Here's the direct quote. We need to be honest about the fact that we are transferring from the United States at a practical level significant authority to a new organization. Does that sound constitutional to you? Does that sound, or does that sound clandestine? Does that sound like they're going to actually move us away from our constitutional liberties and put us in a, in a global government, a regional government, whatever it may be at that time. It sounds like the latter, doesn't it? He goes on to say, this is a transformational moment. Those are his words. This is a transformational moment. I would feel better if the people who favor this would be honest about the scale of the danger. All right, let's get it. Transferring to a regional system a global system, transformational moment, and it's a dangerous, the scale is very dangerous. Now, these are the words that Newt Gingrich uses. You might think, okay, Newt Gingrich sounds like he's against it. No, he voted for it. He was in favor of it. In spite of what he had just said, he actually was in favor of it, and he helped drive us into the WTO, World Government, New World Order, sponsored by... Republicans. Now, how has that been the case? Well, you cannot understand that until 
you come along and understand what a neoconservative actually is. So what is a neocon? It is one who opposes communism and the murderous activities of communism, but they support socialism. They support international government. They're internationalists. Why are we involved, for example, overseas continually in overseas wars, in foreign wars? Why are we over there? And why is it that we continue to funnel billions of dollars to countries such as Ukraine when there are no American interests involved in it? The answer is, of course, because we are run by internationalists, Republican and Democrat, and they're all on the same page. That's why. And that's exactly what's occurring. Neoconservatism. Irving Kristol writes the book. That's the title of it. It was in 1995, the same year that Newt Gingrich showed us what exactly a neocon was when he was Speaker of the House. Here's how Irving Kristol defines neoconservative. And Irving Kristol, incidentally, is the father of Bill Kristol, who was, of course, one of the Weekly Standard writers, and I think founder, actually. And you can understand now why, okay, we had Donald Trump, who was hated by Bill Crystal? Oh, yeah. And he still hates him. He came out the other day and talked some ugly things about him. Okay, why? Because the Crystal family are neocons. They're not real conservatives. They might wear Republican labels, but they're not conservative. They're not constitutionalists. So here's how Irving Crystal, the daddy of Bill Crystal, describes neoconservatism. We are conservative, but different in certain respects, from the conservatism of the Republican Party. We accepted the kind of new, the, accepted rather the New Deal in principle and had little affection for the kind of isolationism that then permeated American conservatism. All right, let's get the basic pieces here. Number one, New Deal. FDR, socialist, that's what it is. By the way, when every Every, sing, uh, every single one of the New Deal programs that FDR proposed came before the Supreme Court. Do you know what they said? They said that these are all unconstitutional in our system of government. Why is that? Because they're socialists. They're socialist programs. It doesn't matter what we're talking about, whether we're talking about Social Security, Medicare, food stamps, Medicaid, cash allowances for unwed mothers, and none of these neocons oppose the United Nations. They might say, well, we want to reform it, but you don't hear Newt Gingrich on television, and he's on Sean Hannity all the time. You don't hear them ever saying, let's get out of the United Nations or let's get the United Nations out of the United States. No, they love big government. They want big government, and that's what the United Nations is about. Here's another one. This is Mark Gerson. Mark Gerson, in the neoconservative reader, declares jubilantly this. The neoconservatives have so changed conservatism that what we now identify as conservatism is largely what was once neoconservatism. In so doing, they have defined the way that vast numbers of Americans view their economy, their polity, and their society. Well, kudos to Gerson for putting it exactly right in the neoconservative reader. Let's pick up some of those pieces here for just a moment. He says, 
We don't want isolationism. That's how, that's the label they want to hang on people who don't want to be interventionist in foreign wars. I'm one of those. Why are we over in Ukraine? There is not an American interest at all over there. And all they're going to do is drag us into a world war if we don't be careful on it. And we're spending billions of Americans' dollars, and our economy is crumbling. And it doesn't matter whether you have a Republican in office, seemingly, or a Democrat. We're always involved in these foreign wars. We have our military in all these installations everywhere, and we're involved in every little hot spot in the world. We're policing the world. And that's what NATO is all about. It's absolutely absurd, and we need to question the premises upon which these things are furthered. But we don't seem to want to do that. So Gerson said very plainly, neoconservatives have changed conservatism. So what was once conservatism is now, or once was, once was rather neoconservatism is now conservative. So if you see, for example, in Fox News, many people are claimed to be conservatives, but they're really neocons. I've mentioned a couple of them. There are more also, and we'll talk about those in a few moments. So let's even step back further, and I'm following Irving Crystal's ideas here and his explanations about what is neoconservatism. Let's step back all the way to 1927. What happened in 1927? Well, after the communist revolution in the Soviet Union, Leon Trotsky, who was Vladimir Lenin's right-hand man, broke with Vladimir Lenin. He wanted men to choose Marxism, and he didn't want their heads to be cracked, as Lenin was in the business of doing. So Trotsky, now let's be clear, Trotsky supported Marxism, but he still broke from Lenin because of the head-cracking schemes. So he fled to Mexico, where he was murdered by the henchmen of Lenin in 1940. But that from 1927 to 1940, 13 years, he attracted a huge crowd of people who wanted Marxist socialism around the world. And one of those people, not he was not there necessarily himself, but his ideals influenced Irving Kristol. Irving Kristol in 1995 wrote this statement in his book. Now listen carefully. I regard myself to have been a young Trotskyite, and I have not a single bitter memory. What is a neoconservative? It's a Trotskyite. It's one who pulls back from communism, from Leninism. We don't want we don't want butchering people, but at the same time, we want to force socialism on the country. That's why so many Republicans don't want to oppose Medicaid, Medicare. They don't want to oppose oppose Social Security. They don't want to oppose welfare. They're not going to get to do that at all. We can't seem to put a stop on this. And by the way, if we can't stop welfare, we're never going to shut the border down because we're just passing out money to people all the time coming across the border. And you can't get Republicans, many of them, to oppose these things. Why? Because they're socialists is what they are at heart, even though they wear a Republican name. So where did it come from? It came from Trotskyite. Or, being, or following Leon Trotsky. And that's exactly what Irving Kristol said he was in 1995 now. That was his book, 1995. And his son, Bill Kristol, is a Trotskyite. That's what they are. We'll be back in a moment. So neoconservatism. 
it really is following the teachings of Leon Trotsky. That is, they want socialism. They like Marxism. They don't want the force that was used by Vladimir Lenin. That's where a lot of Republicans are. Why is it the case? Have you ever wondered why is it the case that though we may put Republicans in power in Washington, D.C., Republicans may run the government, nothing seems to really go in a different direction. We don't really get what we want, and people are so disappointed. And why, why aren't we getting – we thought we put a Republican in office, they would do something, and maybe they were converted when they got there. No, the problem is the big division in American politics is not between Democrats and Republicans. It's between socialists and constitutionalists. And then the socialist category are all the Democrats and many, many Republicans. And in the constitutionalist category are just a few. And you know who they are. Carrie Lake is one of them. Oh, that's why they hate her. That's right. That's why they hate her. Why do they hate Donald Trump? Because of the same reason he said, we're done with all of this. That's why Bill Kristol hates Donald Trump. Because Bill Kristol is basically a socialist at heart. All of these programs that we've talked about are socialism. So <clears throat> I want you to listen to this statement. If you, you've been shocked so far, maybe you think I'm too plain spoken. Well, let's listen to this comment. This is one writer called for an integration of Europe, Japan, the United States to create a super sovereign government. And he voiced his desire to see the conscious depreciation not only of American sovereignty, but of the notion of sovereignty in general. That's a direct quote. Wanted a super sovereign government between Europe, Japan, the United States, a super sovereign government. Does that sound like coming out of the works of Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, John Jay? No. Who was that? That's the conservative so-called lion who recently died, Charles Krauthammer, neocon. Here's another one, 1952, in a Catholic weekly called The Common Wheel. Here's the quote, and then I'll tell you who said it. We have got to accept big government for the duration, for neither an offensive nor a defensive war can be waged given our present government skills. Now, remember, this is 1952 except through the instrument of totalitarian bureaucracy within our shores. What? Totalitarian bureaucracy within our shores? Wow, that sounds like that sounds like Trotsky writing right now, doesn't it? That sounds exactly like what Vladimir Lenin would say. Continuing, if they deem Soviet power as a menace to our freedom, as I happen to, they will have to support large armies and air forces, atomic energy, central intelligence, Intelligence, war production boards, the attendant centralization of power in Washington, even with Truman at the reins of it. Truman, a Democrat, the man who wrote it was a Republican. Wow. How can that be? What's his name? William Buckley. Bill Buckley wrote that. And Buckley was responsible primarily as the primarily the, I, I, the individual who shifted conservatism into neoconservative ideas. And that is, that is put a blanket of neoconservatism on many people that are conservative. And so now what we think of as conservative is really frequently, most frequently neocon. So that's why one reason people ask me, 
are you conservative or liberal? I say, well, you know, I'm a constitutionalist because you, you can be a conservative according to the common label and actually be a socialist. That's the neocon idea. And this is why George H.W. Bush pushed the New World Order. This is why we have not had re rejection or opposition from Republicans of the United Nations, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the Export-Import Bank, the Federal Reserve, and on and on and on it goes. Okay. Now, I wanted to get one thing in here before we conclude. That's what I wanted to say about neocon. I just have maybe probably about five minutes left or so, maybe six or seven. I don't know. All right, seven. So I've got seven minutes left here, and I wanted to talk about restorative justice for a moment. Someone gave me an article recently, and it just, it just really puts a fine point on the things we've talked about in the past. You know, we're in serious, serious trouble in our public school systems. Many schools are rife with lawless behavior from students, particularly minority students, because of the new trendy psychotherapeutic model that is called restorative justice. Now, when you hear restorative justice, you should think of social justice. Social justice is not justice at all. It is really redistribution of monies and, and ideas and redistribution of uh, privileges that people have in society. Restorative justice is in reality is not justice at all, but is a progressive ideology that refuses to hold students accountable for their behavior, replacing it with what Paul Sperry, who wrote the article that someone gave me, calls a touchy-feely alternative such as a talking circle. So you have problems going on in the public schools. You might have violence going on. But, but what we need to do is, because okay, we, we have to bring these students in and, into the talking circle. The entire concept of restorative justice is based upon the assumption in one of the organizations that I called out is Texas Appleseed, which is Austin-based, but it has been influential in Dallas public schools and schools also, as you will see here, even in Wichita Falls. And it's all based upon the assumption that black students being are being suspended at higher rates than whites. And all of that, of course, is due. Of course, that's true. Black students are suspended at higher rates than whites, and that's due to what? It has to be one thing. There's no examination of the culture. There's no examination of the one parent family. There's no examination of the lack of morality in the minority culture. There's no examination of that. It's got to be due to, oh yeah, white racism. That's it. It's got to be it. So because it's white racism in the administrators of school, police departments have quit giving out tickets because if they give tickets out, minorities get more tickets. So then we got to that we got to quit that because that's that's racist. And blacks and Hispanics were receiving higher percentages of tickets than white students. That's not to say that white students never broke the rules; they did, but the percentages were much higher in the minority class. So what's happened? Lawlessness increases in New York City. Public school students caught student uh, caught stealing, doing drugs, even attacking people. They avoid suspension under the new progressive guidelines because, as we're told, Paul Sperry's article, 2015, he says, every reasonable effort made, must be made to correct student behavior through restorative practices. And they have a 32-page discipline code that is given in the New York City schools. Chicago. The Chicago Teachers Union complained that restorative justice practices left teachers struggling to control unruly kids. At that time, when the article was written, the Chicago mayor was Rahm Emanuel, and it hasn't gotten any better with the current mayor in Chicago, announces the school is moving away from zero-tolerance policy and promoting restorative practices. 
Well, they're pumping into the streets all of this lawless behavior and what we see going on in Chicago. Syracuse, New York, restorative practice or restorative justice practices have caused discipline to collapse, and teachers regularly complain that teens are more apt to fight, mouth off to teachers, roam the halls under lenient policies, all of that which puts students and staff at risk and makes quality instruction impossible, says some of the teachers that have been interviewed. Los Angeles, California, on-campus offenses have spiked because of similar policies being implemented. Federal orders came down from the Obama administration to reduce suspension of African-Americans, direct order, after which crimes by blacks were ignored and threats against teachers skyrocketed and nothing was done about it. So in place of traditional discipline, the Los Angeles USD, LAUSD, has restorative justice counselors. Orange County, California, for example, violent, disrespectful student behavior is increasing because restorative practices have been implemented. Santa Ana, California, the same thing. Restorative policies have had similar results. Middle middle school kids now regularly smoke pot in bathrooms, some of them in class. They attack the staff. They spit on teachers. They pelt them with eggs. They threaten to stab them. Unsurprisingly, 65% of Santa Ana teachers say restorative programs are not working. Philadelphia, what's happening? Philadelphia schools, talking circles have replaced traditional discipline. Minority students regularly act out. They dare teachers to kick them out of class. The same thing in San Diego, California. Same thing in Oakland, California. Same thing in Portland, Oregon. Same thing in Washington, D.C. schools. San Francisco schools, the same thing. According to teacher Paul Bruno, restorative justice not only refuses to discipline poor behavior, but encourages bad behavior. It does so by lavishing attention on students for committing infractions because we're all going to go to a talking circle. I'm going to go to the counselor. We're going to sit in her office or his office, and we're going to talk about it. And suspensions, all of these suspensions that have now been replaced by talking circles, simply allow the students to have a lot more attention than they did and they give them social dominance even inside the classroom. So in, in spite of that, you might think, okay, wow, that's a terrible track record, Bill. Do you know the Wichita Falls ISD practices restorative justice? It's right here in our own school system. Restorative justice. That's amazing to me. But most Texans believe that this is only on the East Coast and the Left Coast of America. But that's not true. It's occurring right here in Texas, Dallas, Wichita Falls. And that's taking place under the aegis of not only some of these organizations, but Texas Appleseed. It's high time for Texans to get back to common sense, local control of our school systems, as well as discipline strategies. And if we don't, education is going to continue to languish. Restorative justice is nothing more than social justice in a new dress.